Support for this episode of Youth Culture Matters is provided by Geneva College. When you think about higher education and solid Christian options, think Geneva College. You can learn more at geneva.edu. Over the course of my years in youth ministry, I've developed some wonderful friendships with a variety of youth ministry peers. Some of the most significant relationships have resulted in sometimes fun, sometimes serious, and always profitable conversations about our personal lives and ministry matters. We don't always agree, but we always work to sharpen each other. All of us need these kinds of relationships where iron sharpens iron as we love each other and serve together. I want to invite you to listen in on one of these conversations with some of my best youth ministry friends, Duffy Robbins, Mark Penner, and Chap Clark, on this episode of Youth Culture Matters. From the Center for Parent Youth Understanding, this is Youth Culture Matters. If you're a parent, youth worker, educator, counselor, grandparent, or anyone else who cares about kids, we're glad you've joined us for this practical, informative, and hope-filled podcast. This is a place where together we talk and think Christianly about the rapidly changing world of today's children, teens, and young adults. Well, welcome everybody to another episode of Youth Culture Matters. I get excited about every podcast. This one, I'm triply, quadruply excited because I've got some great friends here who I think are extremely wise and have lots to say out of their wisdom and their experience in the world of youth ministry. I got this great uh, definition of wisdom. I love this definition from Tim Keller, that wisdom is competence with regard to the complex realities of life. It is the ability to, to know what is the best thing to do in the majority of life situations in which the accepted moral rules do not clearly address. Same thing in youth ministry parenting. And these guys have developed lots of wisdom over lots of years. I've benefited from it, and, and I know others would too. So, um, so here's who's with us. And, and I want to know where you guys are. Duffy, let's start with you, Duffy Robbins. Yep. You, you are, where are you and what in the world are you looking at right now? I'm in Durham, North Carolina. Look at the front seat of my car. I'm actually in the back seat of my uh, car, and the view is stunning. Uh, I am at a cool uh, place where you get uh, breakfast right near the Duke campus because I am visiting my family, and uh, and so I just snuck away for a few minutes to do this and be with my friends. So that's okay. where that's my view. Let's. Uh, in other words, we have to. I'm pause. the only one doing this really out of love and commitment. All right. Um, do people see you where you are in your car right now? Uh, people are occasionally walking by, looking in. Is there anyone else? Uh, anyone uh, else in the car with you? Uh, not that I'm aware of. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm imagining this scene, chap. Chap. I mean, you're you're laughing. It's this is typical, right? He's sitting in the back seat of a car in a parking lot, talking on the phone. Yeah. 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 And I have my. I'm, uh, I've got my my uh, iPad. I have a little, you know, very cool iPad holder that you guys have all lusted over. I want to know what the advantage of the being in the back neck, seat is. In the in the back the... of my of my front seat, and so I've got it hooked up so that literally it's right in front of me. It's like perfect eye height. Even though you guys told me to turn off the video, 
and uh, and it's actually not a bad setting for a conversation. You know what's great about this, Walt, is that for the last three or four minutes, people have signed in yes. in order to get wisdom. To and get we've been listening to Duffy talking about sitting in the backseat of a car. Yeah. That is so exciting. And I'm surprised Duffy. you're not in some kind of rocking chair in the home eating yogurt. <laughs> Duffy, get just roll down your window and ask somebody to take your phone and just take a picture and, and post it so we can see what this looks like. Are you wearing your big puffy coat? Are you there, Duff? All right, we'll move on from Duffy. He he was probably I think we just, just lost Duffy. He was probably well, just farmer. exhausted. Yeah. So so uh, so Duffy's in North Carolina. Marv, where are you? I'm up in Canada. I'm making this an international conversation. Uh, I'm sitting in my office and staring directly east across the lake. The sun is just coming up, and uh, it's a beautiful morning up here. Well, that's awesome. And and uh, you're in B- yeah. BC, so you're getting a good look at the what, what do you call it Okanagan or whatever it is or well, you, yeah Okanagan? I'm actually looking down on yeah. Wood Lake Okanagan yeah. Lake is behind me yeah uh, so the view I have this morning is Wood Lake and it's gorgeous well nice chap chap where are you chap Clark Mark Penner I'm chap in, Clark I'm, yeah. I'm in Gig Harbor Washington uh, the sun will rise in two or three hours. Uh, it, what? it really it comes up around 11 and goes down again at two so is the day the days you guys get to see the sun that's awesome yeah actually today is going to be sunny and freezing so it's going to feel wonderful anyway i'm i'm staring out at fox island in the beautiful puget sound uh and i am so grateful to be with my friends at christmas week so thank you for having oh, us Oh man i'm glad you're here and uh, Chris and I, Chris Wagner, Amen. produces this. We're sitting here in the CPYU studio, and there's no windows. It's actually feeling hot right now. It I don't is. know if I noticed that. We, we need to t- – but, but yeah, I, I have the best view of all. Yeah, you're looking at me. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, well I, we get to see both of you, and hot's not the first word that comes to mind. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I'm just I'm saying. just glad yeah. that's the I first concur. Word. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, good, good. Well, we're going to have a conversation about um, youth ministry wisdom here. I've got some questions for these guys, and we never know when we're chatting where the conversation will go. Uh, I may challenge Chap a little bit later rather than encourage him. Um, that's that's something we like. Because I'm the theologically yeah, thinking yeah, one. That's the one, else right. Is a yeah, feeler. yeah, yeah. Uh, but let me say this real quick. I want to say thank you to real quick to Geneva College for sponsoring this episode of Youth Culture Matters. Chris Wagner, Lisa Mueller, myself, we're all graduates of Geneva. We really appreciate the school, and we want to say thanks for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. So, guys, we have uh, youth workers who listen. We have parents who listen. And I think between – but I'll, I won't throw myself into this mix, but between the three of you, there's probably – is it fair to say about 120 years' worth of experience in youth ministry, 40 each perhaps, maybe more? At least. Yeah. I'm 45. Yeah, man. that's fair. 45. Marv's 45. Chap, what are and you? I'm 45. I'm 45 years old. So. Okay. <laughs> no, that's you not wish. accurate. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, I, yeah, I would say. In dog 40. In dog, dog. years. <laughs> what? <laughs> anyway, yes, a lot of experience in. Yeah. In and Duff. Duff, how about, how about you? How long? Oh, uh, uh, yeah. I think about. I see. I'd say about 45, 45. Okay. All right. All right. Yeah. So we've got a lot of years here. So uh, with youth workers and parents listening, and I'm just going to throw out a question to get the conversation going. 
Um, something you see in, you know, you've had a long view of youth ministry. Something you see in youth ministry right now that you would say is an encouraging sign. We're moving in the right direction. Anybody, take it, run with that. I'd love to hear, you know, what your, what your sense is of that. I think uh, that uh, one of the most encouraging signs is the recognition that lower ratios equal more effective ministry. There's a, a strong movement toward looking for lower ratio strategies, whether it's mentoring one-on-one, um, just talking to a youth worker recently who has a, a deal called Me and Three, um, where, uh, uh, where, they, uh, where they spend time in groups of four. Uh, lower ratio ministries, I think, are really uh, increasing our effectiveness. And that's where, and that's where uh, you know, parents, parents who can get involved in mentoring as well is a good thing. So when you say that, that automatically makes me think of something that I know originated with CHAP, and that is the five adults on one student. And that comes out of the right. research, right, CHAP? Yep, yep. Yeah, talk William about Damon that. out of Stanford. Well, William Damon out of Stanford uh, did a lot of work where they determined that uh, especially non-parental adults that involved in the lives of kids had had outcomes that were across the board healthier kids. And so when we when uh, the work that our team did on on hurt and hurt 2.0 of understanding where kids are and then Kara Powell and I did Sticky Faith and the Florida Youth Institute, their work. What came out of that was this kind of recognition. And I really agree with Marv. It's it's not just. I happen to come up with combining William Damon's research with what everybody's saying, what I've learned from all of you guys and others, is this idea that non-parental adults do matter. We've known that for a long time, but um, that I love how Mark put that. That's a great first trend: is that we're getting more particular, more uniquely committed to the individual kid, because uh, <clears throat> there's not many people that are, and so that's a wonderful thing in youth ministry. I'd say the second thing that is increasing is almost everybody recognizes now that the end goal is not individualism and individual discipleship, but somehow connected to the body of Christ. And just about everybody is is at least leaning in the direction of the body of Christ, including kids in a more in a more significant way, which is thoroughly biblical. Uh, different people have different takes on it, but at least I think we're moving in the direction of youth ministry really seeing itself as an important aspect of the body of Christ. Okay, let me ask you a question about that real quick, and I, and I do want to go back to the ratio thing, too, to get Duffy's opinion on that. But just what you said there, okay. Chap, I, I, I uh, track with some of the you know online Facebook groups that where youth, youth workers, youth pastors gather, and somebody in the last week asked a question about, hey, do you have your high school and your middle school students worship in, uh, I think the terminology that was used, worshiped in big church, which if I interpret that correctly, it means, um, you know, basically they're, they're in there with the adults for worship. I think we have a whole generation of youth workers who that notion, and you said it's biblical, chap, totally true, that notion is foreign to them. They've never thought about having everybody together. Someone's making a call here. Who's doing that? Duffy's trying to rejoin us. Oh, Duffy's trying to rejoin us. Okay. <laughs> yeah, by the way, Duffy's in his car, for those of you who are tuning in, and uh, he's going to be in and in out. In the back seat of his yeah, he's car. he's in the back seat. We don't Just even know if be, he's with us now. Are you with specific. us, Duff? 
He's not no. there, so he's yeah. There he is. He's back now. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I, Welcome back. Thanks for disrupting our conversation again. But I'm um, going back to talking about the whole intergenerational thing. We've got a whole generation of youth workers who have never done that. They've never seen that. They've never experienced that. So it's foreign to them. You know, talk to that chap or anybody else because you know we we in effect I believe are dividing the body of Christ. We're limiting the access that adults have to kids and the, you know, the, the excitement that kids bring to the body, the gifts that they bring, and, and vice versa. You know, kids aren't getting the benefit of being around the elderly and having them pour into their lives and the wisdom uh, and experience that, that can speak to them from that. You know, is there a—what would you say to youth workers about that? People were going well, back I, and forth. I, Go I, ahead. Hear my friends jump in on this in a second, but I, I just quickly say that— why I say it's a positive trend is the people that are writing about, thinking about, teaching about uh, youth ministry theologically or as the scriptures and God calls us to think about youth ministry, there seems to be a great, greater awareness of the necessity of connecting kids and adults in both a nurturing and an empowering way. So, But I do agree with you, Walt, is that most of the time, so many youth workers are not reading the people that are doing the work to try to figure this out. And uh, we would all say with every bit of our fiber of our being that reading and education and interaction with people of different ages and perspectives is supremely important if you're in ministry, no matter what kind of ministry. So I think the trend of the leadership is moving towards connecting everybody. But the trend in youth ministry, yes, is a, uh, all we got to do is love kids and love Jesus. And that's what we used to say 30 years ago, and we, we learned that that's not really what God has for us. That's my mm, take on it. Yeah. Duffy, you have any thoughts on that? I I came into the conversation, too. I mean, I missed a chunk. I want to listen a little bit longer to get a better context. Yeah, we're, all, we're basically in the midst of all confessing the worst sins we've ever committed. You're up. <laughs> yeah. Well, in that case, I yeah, Mark, what about you? Weigh in on that. What are you seeing in Canada with youth workers you're working with up there? Well, I think that the the reality of uh, of what Chap's talking about is certainly true. Um, the theology of it uh, in, in terms of, of it, people actually following through on it. Uh, it's uh, it's not happening. Uh, I was uh, I was working with a church just a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and uh, they're pulling probably um, 120 senior high kids and uh, 100 plus middle school kids. And I asked the youth workers, how many of those kids show up on weekend services? And they said maybe 10. Uh, so, you know, while we agree that that kind of uh, intergenerational connectedness is crucial, uh, finding the, the ways to make that happen. And I'm not sure that sitting in a big room with a bunch of people from different generations is necessarily the best way uh, for kids to connect intergenerationally. Uh, I, I think that there's lots of other creative ways. Uh, you know, for example, one of the one of the wonderful trends I see in the area of service uh, is intergenerational service projects that uh, that faith communities are putting together. So intergenerational missions trips, even intergenerational one night um, service projects, where you've got um, children adolescents, adults, and seniors all serving together. Uh, you know, I would say 
that the the quality of connectedness that happens in a setting like that is probably um, more significant than what happens in a Sunday service. Although I'm not disputing the importance of generations worshiping together. Hey, uh, on, on this, Zach Michalak just, uh, just sent a question on Facebook Live, and I think you guys know Zach because you know his dad, uh, who's teaching at uh, at Cairn University, Matt. But Zach asked this. He yep. says, uh, as a student, and Marv, you started to answer this. As a student pastor, I see great need for integration into the church with students attending big church as only the starting point. How can I help the church at large to catch this kind of vision when much of the church sees ministry as age segmented? Any other ideas on that? I think that's a good one there from Marv. But, you know, what else besides that? I think Marv's, uh, I think Marv's point is a good one that in, in, a, in a broader sense it starts probably at a more relational level in other words uh i remember mark uh DeVries in his very first you know re- really you know he was the guy that kind of initiated a lot of the family-based youth ministry conversation way before everybody was talking about it and you know he talked about just finding one way just start off with one way to get uh, you know, generations connected together. Maybe it's the mission trip. M- you know, maybe it's uh, dinner once a month, you know, before youth group or before, you know, like some churches do a Wednesday night, dinner. but just something on a regular basis. Because I think um, Zach's right that one of the problems is when you try to integrate this into the worship setting, you know, you have the whole worship words uh, relived. Uh, you have in a lot of congregations, you know, you're going to have mostly younger people. And I don't mean teenagers, but I mean, you know, 30 somethings up front. And, uh, and so that's kind of age segregated. Uh, and so, yeah, I think he's right. There's kind of a built in bias against, against this. I'm grateful, which I think this is the context of your, of your, of the conversation. I'm grateful for this sort of renewed, a lexicon that gives us a vocabulary to talk about uh, parents and kids being together. But ironically, in the middle of it, I see probably a broader distrust of older people among youth workers. Um, and I see uh, a more willingness to kind of uh, shuck uh, the boring and belabored uh, worship service on Sunday morning uh, by youth workers, some of the same people who, who espouse uh, you know, integration. And, and so, yeah, I guess I, I think part of this, this is going to require a, a, a broader vision from the, for the whole congregation and a, and a guy like Zach or a youth pastor who says, I want to see this happen. I was talking with a guy, um, you know, some of you guys know Ty Hogue up in Michigan, Holland, you know, this, there, there are a lot of guys who really want to make this happen, but it's, it's a slow slog. But I do think it starts more on the micro level with just trying to find places you can build relationships, <laughs> be it I, uh, project or otherwise. I, I really this is Chap again. I, I agree completely with all of you um, in, in all of these things that that's a good starting point. But the more I've thought about it is youth workers can do the micro and structural and programmatic kind of attempts and little tiny ways to to begin to connect people but connecting people is not enough even knowing names is not enough to really make a sea change of who god wants the body to be so what's got to eventually happen 
it's the senior leadership of any any church, any community, has got to buy in. Without that happening, um, it, it's simply not going to come together. I've done a lot of work on the sociology of kind of institutions, and anytime any significant change is going to occur, there's got to be the dominant power group that ultimately comes to realize that it's their responsibility to be the ones to both structurally and intentionally recreate a system to include those on the outside, which includes kids. And so I think a youth worker strategy has to be twofold. One is the little steps you're talking about, Duff and Marv. And two is to somehow through coffee conversations, slowly bringing up scripture like 1 Corinthians 12 and having lunch with a senior pastor and elder, uh, giving books like Growing Young out to people, uh, where, where they kind of continue to push the senior leadership to, to be the ones to say, hey, adults, we have to initiate a welcoming spirit to kids. One of the lines that Kara Powell and Brad Griffin and Jake Mulder have done in Growing Young that they're, I think that's really taken off is that warm is the new cool. That a warm community, that means adults that actually have a welcoming spirit to kids relationally has got to be a part of this. And so youth workers can do their their part to programmatically and structurally connect, but also senior leadership, lay and clergy, have got to be committed to being warm and welcoming to receive kids as uh, members of their body and to empower kids to be included in that, in that community. Mm, that's good. Hey, we need to take a break, but I'm just going to follow that up and say uh, Ruthie Siders weighed in on Facebook Live and said the exact same thing about 10 minutes ago, just saying, hey, you know, it's not just a responsibility. It's not just on the on the youth workers. So that's a good word, chat. By the way, I thought I mentioned Ruthie's one of our graduates uh, from our doctor of ministry program at Gordon-Conwell. At Fuller. Oh, no, I, no, 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 oh, Gordon-Conwell. Right. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's think? true. That was a brilliant comment on her part, which I think reflects well on the education rece- she received. Well, it's probably me. because you guys had me in on Skype, so that helps raise the bar <laughs> no question. academically. No question. Yeah. Well, we you want you to – hey, after you take the break, I want to I want to just sort of throw out a little uh, discussion started regarding this same discussion. Okay, good, good. All right, we'll take a break. We're talking Ty, to – Ty Hogue was in the Fuller program. Just yeah, we're you. talking – stop interrupting. We're talking to uh, Chap Clark. Well, we're listening to Chap Clark, too. We're talking to Chap Clark, Mark Penner, and Duffy <laughs> Robbins, uh, and we'll be right back for more of Youth Culture Matters. You guide young people facing important decisions, and you do it with care and prayer. Their college choice is that type of decision, a significant life choice. When you think about solid Christian options, think Geneva College. At Geneva, we take God's Word as the starting point for all wisdom and knowledge. We know the Bible to be God's truth revealed perfectly to provide everything we need for faith and life. Our faculty are Christian scholars, masters in their respective fields working to integrate biblical faith and cutting-edge knowledge. With 80 programs and majors, Geneva equips graduates for civic and cultural engagement and community development. In majors such as accounting, marketing, healthcare, cybersecurity, criminal justice, aviation, education, and engineering. Geneva cultivates personal poise and a service-oriented work ethic that provides young leaders with the agility to meet workplace challenges with honesty and practical Christian wisdom. Learn more about Geneva College at geneva.edu. That's Geneva.edu. 
Well, welcome back, everybody, to Youth Culture Matters, and we're having this lively conversation with uh, my friends Marv and Duffy and Chap. And by the way, you know, there's others that are are a part of this this uh, I won't say lifelong friendship, but it seems like that now. We've had this friendship, and they couldn't it's been a while join us today. But we have spent a ton of time together. One of the things that uh, I treasure the most, you know, memory wise, is that trip to Africa, huh? You know, so Rich yeah, Van Pelt, Doug, Doug and Kathy Fields were with us on that, and we went at the invitation of Compassion International. Rich, who works for Compassion, took us was our was our host, and what an amazing opportunity! Uh, it was fun being together, and but it was even even more fun to see what Compassion is doing globally. So, uh, we highly recommend that you check in with Compassion, and if you're not sponsoring. A compassion child or compassion children you must their work is uh it's stellar it's stellar so um to pick up on the conversation before the break duffy you you wanted to weigh in and follow up on something uh chap well yeah just this is sort of tangential to the to that discussion um because it's it's just kind of funny on on twitter about uh late november uh somebody tweeted somebody liked this this statement and the statement was teenagers are drawn to the oldest person in the room who takes them seriously and uh and and i thought uh, if i was sort of reading the, the 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 like properly or the retweet that that somehow i was uh th- th- that quote was being attributed to me that somebody had heard me say it at a conference which I don't recall ever saying it, but people were a lot of people were going, "Man, I really like that." But as I was reading it, <laughs> are you taking? It was actually me that taking, said it, Duffy. But Duffy's getting the point where he's saying, "I'm taking I credit for it now." I don't know if that's now. actually true. Okay. <laughs> well, you say, I'm saying, I don't know if that's actually. I don't. It says teenagers are drawn to the oldest person in the room who takes them seriously. I mean, I like the idea. I'd like to believe the idea. But I'm not. I'm not absolutely convinced. I don't know. I'm just. I'm sort of agnostic about it. But it was just kind of funny because, you know, it got all these likes, and it, and I think it's it, people were thought I had said it. I think I remember most of what I say, but somebody said they heard this at a conference. But then I wasn't even sure that uh, that, that it's true. So I, I, it's sort of tangential to the discussion we were having. So I just thought I'd bring it up. Teenagers are drawn to the oldest person in the room who takes them seriously so uh, how do you take issue with it around what's 11 your, november 21st what's your issue what's well do you think that's true i think well, it's do you true think teenagers are drawn to the oldest person well so when teenagers walk into the room first of all how do they know which older people take them seriously and and uh and then secondly i guess if they, you know, given a room full of adolescents and there's, you know, Bob, who really I know really takes me seriously, but they're 10 of my friends. Uh, I don't know. Would the kids go to Bob first or they go to their friends? I, I don't know. I'm, I'm not I'm not really strongly opinionated on one side or the other. I just it's funny because in this case, it was allegedly me who made the statement. And when when I usually when I assert something, as you guys know, I believe it. In this case, I just wasn't sure whether I thought that was accurate. Well, Marv, you think it is? Yeah, I, I absolutely do. 
Uh, and, and obviously, it only makes a difference if kids know that someone's taking them seriously. Uh, and that means that they're in conversation. That means that uh, the person uh, who, uh, uh, who they're drawn to is actually listening to them, is actually interested in their perspective. Um, you know, that happens so rarely uh, that, uh, that I'm sure kids are uh, intrigued and drawn uh, to an older person uh, who's actually willing to listen, who's actually willing to learn uh, from the perspective of a younger person. Uh, I think that's a, a rare uh, but really attractive thing uh, to, uh, to a kid who longs to be taken seriously. I, uh, this is a great conversation because it does get down into what's going on inside the kids. And Marv, when you talked about the, the more particular, I've, that's not the word you use, but the focus on um, smaller numbers and really focusing yep. on kids. I, I think a lot of it has to do with a kid's own background, a kid's own uh, history. Um, I, I don't think age is the only I mean, I'm kind of with you, Duff. I'm, I lean a little more towards what Duff's saying in terms of it's it's not really age. It's more the genuine, right, right. authentic um, warmth and welcoming spirit that can it can be a 19 year old leader and it can be an 82 year old leader, where the drawn to is is somebody that's open to a kid and really cares and takes the initiative to, to build a relationship, then kids are more typically drawn to them. And the older a person is, usually they are less uh, threatening. On the other hand, the older a person is, the more that older person has to work harder at building bridges of trust because kids have been burned by people who are older most of their life. And so I think it's more difficult for them to build the bridge of trust. Um, and I'm not saying necessarily older people, but people between maybe, maybe 40, 45 and 65, that age group is the age group that's controlled kids their whole lives. And I tend to think that a lot of kids are less willing to initially receive the warmth until they really believe it's authentic. Um, so I think there's a nuance in it. Like, like most Twitter state statements though, it's like yes and no. Uh, yeah. Which yeah. is why I, I follow Twitter more for entertainment and disgust than I do for actual learning pithy little <laughs> truth statements. Is it? Yeah, that's kind of, I, that's how I would see it, Chapper, that I, I just, um, I, I wish it were, it, it wish it were true, but I guess I, I, I think, frankly, there are a lot of, uh, there are probably a lot of caring adults who, I mean, I think for the average teenager, if you're not a teenager, uh, most kids don't even see you. You're, you're kind of invisible and, uh, and, 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 and you've got to. We lost him there. Let me let me. Can I can I just weigh in with yeah. sort of a practical implication of this? Uh, one of the trends that I do see uh, is that uh, there are a lot of ministries that have a very very narrow age group uh, on their on their ministry team, uh, and uh, and if nothing else, I think a statement like the one that Duffy raised here says to older people in a faith community. Uh, don't be intimidated about joining uh, as a volunteer in a youth ministry team. Don't be intimidated about reaching out to students, because if you take them seriously, they will be drawn to you. Good. Way to go, Marv. That's exactly right. That's good. 
It's very, it's hey, very can I, let me ask you a question um, related to this because I agree, Chap. I agree with what you're saying totally, but I wonder if there's a couple of more, a couple of additional variables in this that feed this beyond just kids having been burned. Like, have we really set the table well uh, in our youth ministries if, when kids show up, we're doing maybe more entertaining than relating or relying more on the attractional type stuff? than on the, the, you know, the attraction of the entertainment part or the marketing part as opposed to the attraction of relationships, you know, warm is the new cool. Would, would that be a variable that might feed this? And then the other thing I'm thinking is how is social media played into this in terms of the inability of young people increasingly and older people as well um, to carry on, you know, real flesh and blood relationships, to be open, to be vulnerable, to not have to hold up the image that I'm curating and fabricating on social media when I'm in real flesh and blood. Like, I can really let down and be myself. Do you think those things play into this as well? Well, let's go with the first one. Um, uh, Boy, I just had – the sun just came up, and so I I lost – what's up? Go ahead, Marv, because I just looked outside and I saw a dolphin, and I got a little distracted. But the first point I wanted to jump in on. So, we don't even have ahead. windows go here, ahead. and we saw a beluga whale came in, and it was awesome. I'm not we kidding. Didn't, we I didn't let it. There's a pot of, know, a pot of dolphins right outside my window right now. You're killing me. You're uh, just making me jealous. If I go to the window and I look out now, I'm going to see a horse and a buggy go by. Go ahead. <laughs> don't take a picture because they'll yeah. be mad at you. Yeah. I see a guy walking by with a thing of donuts <laughs> and some coffee. <laughs> hey, Walt, you know, yeah. in, your, in, in response to your question, I think, I mean, this is something I know that's that's kind of a popular discussion. And, and, of course, broadly, I agree with what you're saying. But I do think there's a little bit of a false dichotomy there when you when we say entertainment or when we say games or when we say attraction. Because right, and I, I, I do I think, think it's a part of it. I think we have to have that. So don't, I'm not, I'm not uh, demonizing Yeah, well, it. because I mean, partly what I'm saying is that, that a, a wise and strategic youth worker um, is not, doing i mean sometimes yeah games are fine for you but i think a wise and strategic youth worker is not just doing a game to do a game there's right. there's the part of the game that, that everybody sees but then there should be in this in the mind of a savvy youth worker a completely different dialogue going on in their head about how can i use this now i'm afraid and i think this is kind of what gives birth to your remarks is that that second dialogue doesn't happen. But just to give an example, I, I was talking to a youth worker the other day, and they went. They, she was telling me that they went to the. She was a volunteer, but they her, the youth group went to, you know, some place for dinner for Christmas dinner, and so she was sitting at one table, uh, and in this case, the moms the mom was the volunteer, the daughter was in the youth group, so they were sitting at a table. And we're waiting, and, and she sat with her daughter. She was hoping other kids would come there, but instead the other leader came to that table. So now you've got a table with two leaders. In other words, uh, the, the you know there's like wait a minute. The point is not for us to just eat food here. The point is the food gives us an, an uh, a setting in which we can engage in conversation and be that warm adult to which young adults are attracted. 
or or like I took my students to uh, Chick Fil A the other night for our Christmas banquet, and you know, and while I'm very wait a minute, you said weird, banquet? I would call banquet. that oxymoronic okay, statement yeah. right well, there. Well, I mean, I uh, I did it tongue in cheek, but nonetheless, if you're a college kid, free food equals a banquet. But but uh, but I did do it sort of good. You believe facetiously, that. but but anyway, so but when I'm sitting there, I'm not just I'm not I don't say hey. I will go ingest, you know, foul with them. I'm thinking, I, I have, a, I have other. I'm trying to build a relationship. Even the way I sat, even the questions I posed, even the way I did the conversation. And so, when when people talk about, you know, just having pizza party or just doing a game, it, it sounds, it's a, it, it it borders on a cheap shot, if we don't give credit to some youth workers who actually. <clears throat> do those things in a strategic way thoughtfully that's thoughtfully and with purpose yeah can i jump in duff that absolutely right but we've all been around long enough to see kind of the the pendulum swing in youth ministry where uh where in this probably the 70s and through the 80s was so programmatically driven and so group oriented and so get them fired up and have all kind of nice excitement and they give a great message and and then moving more toward a relational stuff maybe in the 90s and then Iaconelli goes to to spend time with Henry Nowen and youth ministry became much more spiritually focused and turn the lights down and light candles and uh, then we got really focused on deep relationships and then we it seems like in so many ways for younger youth workers the pendulum swung back as, but you got to make sure that you're constantly moving and constantly giving them something. And what you're talking about is the fullness of a strategic youth ministry. And I think that that is, that is something that an awful lot of, of churches and younger youth workers have not been exposed to what you just said, which is so crucially important, is that everything we do has got to matter and have a purpose that leads us somewhere. Right. So I'm glad yeah. you mentioned that. Yeah. Yeah, and I and I and I, it, I, mean, I totally see how easily. I mean, I agree. Like Walt's point is, when when as a youth pastor, I'm more worried about my laser thing working during the worship, <laughs> you know, and, and making sure I've got you know five screens so I can you know simulate something I saw at camp. So all twelve kids could enjoy the evening. Yeah. <laughs> yeah well, right. that, three of them yeah. are up front singing. The others are standing there with their arms by their side, waiting for the dark. You know, just to. And yeah, I, I, I totally realize the, the you know, vapidness of that experience. But what I'm saying is that a savvy youth worker, that, that sometimes that all gets put in the same bag, the same box. And, and I don't think that's fair to youth workers. I don't, I mean, there are a lot of youth workers who knew pizza parties and dodgeball were not the end all be all. They saw that in the same way that, that, you know, someone realizes, you know, one, you know, one basketball play or one football play is not, we're not just doing it to, to, there's a bigger goal here and that this is a part of a bigger picture. Now, granted, you know, a lot of people were just seeing the small, you know, the immediate thing that, wow, that was an amazing dunk shot or man, I can't believe they ran that play. And it didn't have any fuller context or any purpose and, and sort of like, why are we doing this? But I just, but I know, that, but I feel bad for when you sort of, when we sort of just paint that all with one big brush. Yeah, and that was one of the ways I distinguish is. Intent, but go ahead, Marv. No, the the, I, I think the word attractional has appropriately been vilified, 
and and we've lost sight of the fact that ministry has to be attractive. Uh, I think um, uh, when uh, when when we make it attractional, uh, then it's all about getting them through the door. When we make it attractive, uh, it has a whole bunch of other dimensions. And attractive is relationally uh, attractive. It uh, has to do with understanding the culture of our context. Um, so let's not let's not be apologetic about having attractive youth ministries. Right. Yeah. 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 I agree. yeah. It's good. good. Well, I, yeah, but I think you just, I mean, I agree with what you're saying, Mark. I think you just created a nuanced definition that is not widely shared. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I'm not sure most people go, oh yeah, well that's attractional and that's attractive. I mean, I think for most people it all gets kind of thrown yeah. into the same into the same bag and yeah. it all gets vilified. So, but, but what we have to emphasize is that forms are important and that's right. They have to serve totally. a larger strategy rather than just saying, well, everyone else is doing it this way or everyone else is making it look this way. And, you or know, this Chap, is edgy. Yeah. Or yeah. this is cool. And Chap raises a good point there. You know, I, I, I really think, you know, and I chuckled when he said for the 12 people who were there, I'm seeing more and more youth rooms that are set up like theaters where you've got 12 uh-huh. kids and you're, you know, you're going, we, how are you fostering community by attempting to sit 12 kids in a room and, and put on a stage show? Um, you know, it just doesn't, the, the, the math doesn't compute, you know, and that's nothing wrong right, right. with stage shows, you know, that, that when they serve a higher, uh, higher purpose and a deeper strategy and they fit in well. So, um, yeah, but, but even good stage shows, you know, I mean, certain artists realize I'm not suited to a coliseum. I'm right. suited to a club. Or, and and there's a there's a sense in which, as you say, it's it's sort of like we have one volume on our on our ministry and it's full up. Well, when there's only two people in the room or, or five people, in the room, you, you know, you're going to engage them a lot better when you talk to them, you know, just just, you know. Well, as you, at one on five without without all the folder all right there. Yeah, yeah. Hey, we need to take another break. We'll come back and continue the conversation. Stick with us. We'll be back for more in a bit. We're excited to announce that one of our most popular CPYU resources of all time has just been released in an updated and revised format. Tens of thousands of kids have been trained by their parents and youth workers to think Christianly about music and media with our How to Use Your Head to Guard Your Heart 3D Guide to Making Wise Media Choices. This easy-to-use teaching tool needs to be in your youth ministry toolbox if you desire to teach your students to integrate their faith into all of life. Jesus calls us to follow Him, and that includes following Him into the six to nine hours a day of screen time that shape and mold the beliefs and behaviors of our kids. To learn more about our 3D Media Evaluation Guide and to order a copy for every member of your youth group, go to our website at cpyu.org. Teach your kids to engage with media to the glory of God. Well, we're back. More more conversation with uh, Marv and Duffy and Chap. And uh, unless we choose to cut any of those guys off here, uh, but we're talking about uh, just wisdom and things we've learned about youth ministry, things that we, we love that we see happening in our world of youth ministry, some things maybe that we're saying, hey, let's stop, look at this, ask some questions. And we want to start to get practical. 
I'm not sure if Duffy's going to take us there now or or not. But uh, Duff, you said during the break you've got something you want to bring up. Yeah, uh, uh, maybe maybe it's not practical enough. Um, no, no, I'll that's good. Go ahead. It's good. Uh, I know that because, I, but I know that this is a concern we all share. Chap and I were talking about it in Memphis a couple weeks ago uh, at the BB King Blues Club, which was awesome, shouting over knock on wood, and uh, and it's a thing of we're talking about how you know the beauty of the internet is that it democratize everything everybody everybody can speak to the entire world from a terminal and and that's great but the downside of it is that everybody without any vetting or any any kind of filtering can also pose themselves to the world as something and there's no vetting process there's no democratic vetting process in, in other words when when let, let's say you know, an artist makes a new record, there is, of course, their record company can do all kinds of tricks and marketing, and, and, but there is a public, a, a free market out there that ultimately votes and says, we like your song or we don't like your song. And, and, you know, that, that, that goes away. But it, the problem is in youth ministry land, and this is a real concern, is that uh, I, I just have, we've been in a season, it seems like the last few years where Somebody starts a blog, declares themselves to be a consultant, and without ever being really vetted by the church community, or theologically, or uh, in you know praxis, just in the way they do their work, uh, there's no vetting process, and so uh, it, now it's it's not really a democracy; it's kind of an anarchy. I declare myself to be an expert, and if I can get enough people to follow me and listen to me, uh, you know, by my website, then I command uh, a big audience. And, and I think that's unhealthy because there is a big we influence. All started, the, when we all started, it was in a sense, the church community, the faith community that vetted you. You know, if you spoke at three retreats and you didn't do well, or you said something theologically that was questionable, there was a vetting process because you couldn't, you couldn't go online. There wasn't any online to go to. It was it was word of mouth, and those mouths would, by their words, sort of, you know, maybe discredit you or, or or start to vet you. And we don't have that process anymore. That filter is gone. And I just read a great uh, article yesterday by Rod Dreher, the author of the uh, Benedictine Option, and then uh, of the Benedict Option, and then he put me onto this blogger named Alastair Roberts, an English guy, uh, who, who I haven't read enough of his stuff to you know, in any sense to give him wholehearted uh, endorsement, not because I don't like it. I just, I just don't know enough of it. But what I did read, he had an amazing article on this that was referenced by uh, Raj Rare. And uh, anyway, I, I know that's something that we've all talked about that we're concerned about. So I'll just throw that out there. It's not very practical in little ways, but it, I think it's really important in a big way. So what's the? I think the practical, the practical upshot of that, Duffy, is uh, for us not to assume that because someone's got a blog, they're an expert. Um, you know, just to to read thoughtfully, uh, and uh, and and I think if if I know how Chap feels about this, make sure that you are reading acknowledged um, theologians. Read, make sure that that you're. Um, that you're filtering what what you read online 
through church history, uh, through um, well-documented research, uh, and um, you know, just don't don't just feed on the low-hanging fruit. Make sure that uh, that you're that you're well informed uh, as you as you read these these opinions online. I love that, Marv, uh, because I. I would say if there's a piece of advice to give to any youth worker at any age or any person in ministry or any Christian, it's really important to be in discussion groups where read, but also read in community and then seek the Holy Spirit to try to figure out and discern what really is our response as the world changes, as we're in ministry. That's what we've really lost is the people listen to their podcasts when they're jogging or working out or driving. And it's by themselves listening to some expert. And then they go and do their work and frantically kind of move through the day with very little discussion or thoughtful reflection in community. And that's something that anybody that wants to be any kind of influencer or leader must commit to uh, kind of a learning community of, of reflection and faithful listening to the Spirit through the community. That's been one of the things that's made our friendship rich over the years right. uh, is that it's rare for us to get together and not do the kind of reflection that you've just described there. And, um, you know, that's what makes me grateful uh, for the friendship that we're seeing on the podcast today. Mm. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I remember uh, several years ago, there was a book by Reggie McNeil, I think, about how pastors could form these groups. And if, you, if you're a youth pastor listening, I'm not even sure how to start something like that or how would we format it. You might, you might look for that book as at least a beginning template. Reggie McNeil, I think, is the name of the author. But but because uh, it just just literally this week, a youth pastor, uh, you know, contacted me because of the that, this coaching thing with ministry architecture. And I wanted I want to do that. But in case, this case, that student was one of that person was one of my former students. I said, you already heard, you know, you don't need to be with me again. You've gotten me. But but I think a lot of youth workers do want or, or could benefit from more substantive kind of learning accountability communities and uh and i know for us that's what you guys have been that's what you guys have been for me yeah it's been a rich thank friendship. you duff let you've me, been that for us too let me um thank you hey well here's a practical way that that we could respond to that yeah that's what already I to. a ahead. lot of the youth a lot of the youth workers that are listening to us are part of a local or a citywide network uh, and so they're getting together. But the question is, what are you getting together for? Are you getting together for lunch? Uh, are you getting together to pray? Are you getting together to plan a citywide event? Or um, would it be appropriate for some of these local and regional networks that gather regularly uh, to, uh, to throw a book uh, into, the, into the discussion? Say, you know, this month, um, here's what we're reading. And uh, when we get together next month, uh, we're going to take a half hour around our tables uh, to talk about our thoughts on this. Because um, those those cohorts do exist. Maybe they're just not focused enough on what we're talking about now. Yeah. Well, let me let me let's let's uh, get really practical here on that, because I love that. And one of the great messages Chap has pounded home over the years. And I love, Chap, that you have done this. It, it really is meaningful is 
you know, academic excellence, um, intellectual excellence and responsibility, just a passion for learning, and that comes out of your passion for teaching. But you've wanted to see that maintained in the world of youth ministry. I think it's diminished. We would all agree with that. Um, in many circles, it's diminished, and we, we need to recover that. So let's spring off of that. And a couple of questions. Maybe first, let's talk about uh, education in general and what is the value of education for youth workers. We've mentioned some things already about how to pursue that. What are some ways to pursue that? I think this reading in community is a good thing. And then from there, I want to go um, to talk about some recommendations for some reading. Maybe there's some things you guys have read. Maybe there's some things you guys have written uh, that, that we can recommend to youth workers and, and that they can uh, track with, you know, that would be helpful for them. So let's, let's talk first, though, about uh, the importance of education and, you know, how important is it. I'll even throw this into the mix on that. Should a youth worker go to seminary? I've heard that conversation a lot. And who wants to speak to that first? Well, I think I know. Well, because you brought me up on this, um, you guys all know me well, very, very well, but well enough to know it's not education for education's sake. Right. And it's not just to gain more knowledge or even to get the entry card into conversations, although those do happen. Both of those will happen. I think what got me interested in, all, in that level of thinking and has sustained me through all these years was the recognition when I stand before a Bible study of ninth grade boys or when I'm with a group of leaders or talking to parents or whatever through the years, there's a power of thus saith the Lord that comes out of me that is when I thought of others, I remember going through a season of going, that is a heavy responsibility. And if I'm going to speak in the name of Christ, you know what? That's not a flippant thing. I'm not just leading a youth group so kids come to know Jesus in a simplistic way. We are really a conduit of the Holy Spirit into the lives of people that desperately need the Lord. And that requires us to be very deliberate and committed and careful with how we think, what we think, how we communicate. And so that's driven uh, the commitment to good theology and to communal reflection. Uh, and, and I'd say to everybody is don't, don't go to seminary just to go to seminary right. or to get ordained. Go, go because you really believe that God wants to shape you in a deeper, more profound way because you take seriously the gospel. And if you take seriously the gospel, what we're doing is so supremely important. We better know what the heck we're talking about and be humble in that, that it's a lifelong journey of trusting Christ in community. Yeah. Yeah. So yes, go to seminary, but for the reason of following Christ. Okay, so let me let me step from that. Because well, that's a, we got to get it right. Really okay, go ahead, Duffy. Point. I was just it's a really important point because now again with online uh, learning, it, it, there there clearly is kind of a trend of saying I'm going to go, I'm going to quote unquote go to seminary to get my degree, and uh, and and you know some of those are totally credible, you know, great thoughtful programs, but sometimes it is pretty much I just want to check a box, and that's not and that's why I think what you said, chap, is really critical. Can I just add one piece to this? I, I really, I, I, I totally agree with everything 
uh, Chav and Duffy are saying here, uh, but but maybe for another practical reason, uh, and that is that I do think that youth workers are some of the most significant and strategic theologians in the body of Christ, because I think most kids have their theological fundamentals settled by the time they're out of high school, how they feel about the scripture, how they feel about the church, how they feel about sexuality, uh, how they feel about sin and salvation. Most of those big rocks are settled by the time kids are done high school. Uh, and, um, uh, you know, either out of, out of lack of teaching uh, or out of good solid teaching that they're getting. So I think that youth workers really need to recognize that if we're not engaging students in meaningful theological conversation, um, you know, we miss an opportunity. Um, you know, the, the, the timing, the timing matters. Um, we, we can't just be figuring out one more duct tape game, uh, when we're dealing with, with young people who are actually forming their theological foundations in our presence. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. So, so let me, let me go a step further on what you guys just said. So Duffy, uh, somebody said, check off a box, right? And I think sometimes that's it. Now, okay, so I want to get the education, and Chap, what you said is brilliant because, yes, great responsibility. I have to do everything in my power to be sure, humbly. I mean, I'm getting it right. I'm getting it right, and I need to be a, you know, a, a student of the Word and, and get my theology in order, you know, biblical studies, so forth. So, so let's talk now about not just the motivation, but now where do I go? And I don't want to get into specifics on different schools and that sort of thing, but a lot of times now I think that, you know, now, okay, I'm going to get a seminary education. Where can I go and get the easiest one so I can check off the box that I graduated? Um, and maybe that's unfair to say because it's not that way for everybody, but it's it's easy now to find those places that are easy to, to um, you know, to kind of walk walk through. Any recommendations on that? I mean, my I'll just say my what I say is get the best education you can. You, you get to do this one time. If you're going to get a formal education, get the best that you can. Thought. Two Check. things that I'd offer on this. Two things. One is uh, look around to the elder states people, men and women, that you trust the most, whether they're writers or speakers, but mostly people you actually know, like a pastor um, or a therapist or whoever and find out where they got their education theologically. I think Mm. that is a, that's a really important and find out why they went to that place and what they would recommend. So look for people that are further down the road than you are that you really trust and who you like as authors and figure out what, where did they get their training? That's one step. And the second is this is yes, cost and time and effort and how much work are factors but just because something's more expensive doesn't make it better. Right. And just because something's harder doesn't make it better. But on the other hand, something that's cheaper and something that's easier does not make it adequate. So balance that. Just, don't let expense and how hard the classes are be your primary factors and ease of getting into it and, and going through the process. Have the factor be what am I going to do to prepare myself for a lifelong of being a follower of Christ? And so those are my two recommendations. Find out who, who's gone and other places they recommend. And then, then 
sometimes if it's really hard to get through it and if it is expensive, it might be the absolute best thing for you. Yeah. So take care in making those choices. Do you guys have any any preference regarding uh, residential education versus online? I know I do. Ruthie Siders just posted here on Facebook Live where – you know, she mentioned some of the most valuable education that she got when she was at seminary was conversations in residence halls, living in community, sitting around a table in the, you know, when you're when you're sharing a meal, um, you know, that, that 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 really shaped her more fully as a leader. I, 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 that's my experience as well. But go ahead, Chap. Can I say one more thing? I'm sorry, yeah. fellas, that uh, uh, but I really recommend that you look for the seminaries that have the people that write the most significant books that have influenced you so that when you go, and I do think if you can do residential, do residential at least for part of it. I would, I would add one, I'd add one piece, Jeff, and that is um, if, if you're planning to be equipped to be a practitioner, make sure that the people who are teaching you have uh, some recent practice in their resume uh, or are currently involved uh, in in some sort of hands-on ministry. Um, you know, that, that combination of being uh, a, uh, a, a, a thoughtful practitioner, uh, if, 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 you're, if you're looking for being equipped to be a practitioner, you want to learn from someone who's actually had, you know, prepared a sermon recently or uh, led, a, led a church recently. Duff, were you going to weigh Duff? in? Uh, actually, no, I'm just listening to these guys. I, I agree with what he said. I definitely think residential. Um, I, I agree with Ruthie and, and what uh, Marvin Chap has said. I think that there's great value in that. Again, you know, uh, it, it's it's like uh, you can you can get a meal, uh, you know, by doing drive through and uh, and that's OK. But if you really want to if you really want to have lengthy conversation if you know, if you're looking to take time to chew and digest and reflect and you know enjoy table fellowship, you know that's not drive through. That you you stay you stay there for a little bit. That's and going inside the Chick Fil A. Exactly, it's going right inside a Chick Fil A where you got free Wi Fi and all the iced tea you can drink, and it's and it's taking the time to say let's uh, look let's let's be together. Uh, face-to-face. It's not the same. It is just not the same. I teach online courses, um, and it just, it, it's not the same. There are faster ways of doing, uh, you know, MDiv or, or BA or whatever. And I realize if you're looking at the money, and I can understand, I can imagine somebody going, well, that's easy for you guys to say, you got your degrees. I don't have enough money. I'm trying to do the most expedient thing. But that's where I would defer to Chap's deal that you could, you know, is that it just because it's cheaper, it, it might be better in the short term, but you're talking about a lifetime of ministry. For me, when I think about my experience at Gordon Conwell, what it did was it it prepared, it began to help me prepare the field, the soil for a lifetime of ministry. It put nutrients in there. Of course, it's going to have to be renourished. Of course, there's going to, you know, there are going to be... T- being was never intended to act. Hello. You know, there are going to be times when I have to... <laughs> I mean, hey, Duffy, Duffy, where did you go? Duffy, I know. 
Where did you go, Duffy, for your uh, follow-up to Gordon Conwell? Oh, for your here doctor? we go. Here we go. Just curious. Oh, yeah, that's right. I went that's to church because it was free. <laughs> but, oh, brother. But, you um, can't say Fuller here. I get it. But I I do. No, I think that was, that was great. And it was a good example of that's another reason why to keep nurturing the soil. There, there, there you know, were other ways of doing that. And uh, I don't know. I just I felt like that was worthwhile. Now I get it. You know, if you if you've got you know children and you're you're up to your neck and you're just in the middle, then then doing seminary, you know, getting that degree is better than not getting that degree. And uh, and here's and a it, here's a real practical tip on that Duff is that what even if you have kids and it's expensive, almost every church organization if you get a bunch of people that know and love you, you can help them raise, get them to raise some money to offset some of your costs for seminary. There's a lot of ways to pull that off. Talk to people, talk to your pastor, talk to whoever about how can we make this more affordable? Can I get a sabbatical for a year, uh, a leave of absence for a summer, for two summers? In other words, there's a lot of creative ways to pay for it and to get it done. And there's a lot of good seminaries out there. You mentioned Gordon Conway, mentioned yeah. Fuller, mentioned Briarcrest. I mean, there's a lot of places that are great. And so yep. you yeah. can do this. Yeah. Here, let me transition yes. here. I'm just going to tell you, my story was, uh, like Chap said, go to w older, wiser people. That's what I did. I need an education. I need to go to seminary. Where should I go? And, of course, the, the options were a lot less back then. But I think it was, far, you know, 30 years ago, I, I, I would say— <laughs> In most cases, it tended to be more academically grueling. There wasn't the online option at that point in time. And so I listened to people and narrowed it down to three places uh, that I thought would, would, because of what Chap said about, you know, look, you're going to stand before kids. And I had had enough, enough time under my belt in youth ministry to know that my strengths were and to know what my deficiencies were. And seminary was going to address my deficiencies, and I wanted it to address those deficiencies well. And so, you know, I looked at Gordon Conwell, I looked at Fuller, I looked at one other place, and eventually I wound up at Gordon Conwell. But what out of that experience and what Duffy said, I know, Chap, you would agree, Marv, as well, it, yep. cost should be the last of your considerations. Try to find the best. It's like if you need... You know, you need to have surgery for some issue. You, you don't want to go to the necessarily to the cheapest doctor. Like I saw a LASIK place a couple of weeks ago that's in a strip mall locally, and I, I said to Lisa, I said, "Now I've never seen that before, but that's not necessarily where I want to go to have someone shoot things into my eyes or do surgery. Maybe it works. I don't know. I have to do more investigating on that. Yeah, but Marv's really careful where he gets his Botox injections. So that's <laughs> Are you talking about the place that he goes to get them, or are you talking about where the injections go in? I'm just not well, sure actually, what... both when you look carefully. Okay. <laughs> um, Chap, did you put your filters on this morning? The sun's up. Oh, okay, the, the sun's up. Yeah, the up. dolphins are out there. That's good. I like that. But just, you know, again, make that, and I think you guys have said that, make that the last year considerations, and you're right, you know. I didn't come out of seminary with more money than I had when I went in. Um, I probably had two dollars less, but I didn't. I, people stepped up. I mean, that's you're, you're exactly right on that. All right, let's 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 turn the corner here. Last thing, and then we'll bring it to a close. Practically speaking, we've talked about education, reading, 
I want to know from you guys, you know, we're, we're in a new year and, you know, resolutions, trying to get youth workers to read. I want to read. Would you guys maybe recommend one book that you've read, um, I don't know, recently in the last year? That, well, it doesn't have to be new. Something that you would say to a youth worker, hey, it, make the time and read this this year. What would you What would you recommend? I think we should do more than one book. All right. Okay. <laughs> what are, what are you what are I you mean, proposing we uh, do chap you can just do one you know because you only but, like I mean, one but but uh, <laughs> well yeah but i want to i just he's, think he's, uh he's, you know more than three uh, you want to do three? Oh, right. i was yeah i was thinking three but more than one okay duffy go ahead you start chaps think chaps looking at his shelf right okay. now i only have one <laughs> uh <laughs> <laughs> What? Oh, I think what uh, the world. The first book I would recommend is, and, and, and right <clears throat> right off the bat, I mean, I wrote you guys and told you about this book. Right off the bat, people will be offended by the title, but it's called "Slaves, Women, and Homosexuals." It's by William J. Webb, and um, and the reason <clears throat> that book, I mean, obviously, from the title you can tell it speaks to some pretty pertinent topics, but. What I love about that book, beyond, uh, you know, the, I guess the substance of it is the process that you'll you'll find if you read that book, slaves, women, and homosexuals. It's extremely tedious because he's a careful scholar. He leaves no stones unturned. I mean, it is, it is extremely, you're, you're it's thorough, to the point where you're going, oh my gosh. But but I respect that I, I like that i like the fact that this guy's a careful scholar but I also like it because he reminds us of the importance of a good hermeneutic because it seems to me that you know of course there's the first battle of do we take seriously the authority of scripture but well even people who say yes yeah we totally do uh you know then you end up still on you know you have different so many different ideas and and I don't know that good hermeneutics is ever going to resolve all of those questions, but I do know that bad hermeneutics makes those questions a lot murkier. And and so this is a guy that I think uh, I think he uses a good hermeneutic. Uh, he, he his whole book is kind of about a framework, but also because I think he just helps us to understand the importance of of hermeneutics. So that would be, um, you know, I think that would be. A book that I that I really I really liked a lot, uh, and I'll stop there until other guys have had a chance to do their one because I don't know how much time we've got. Who's up, Marv? You got one? Go ahead, Marv. Chip. Yeah, I, I, uh, one of the books that uh, I've found to be really really helpful uh, is a book called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, um, which um, Pete Scazzaro um, by. Uh, by Scazzaro, yeah, uh, Peter Cazero, uh, Scazzaro, and uh, uh, it, it just one of those things that talks about internal health, uh, internal well-being. Uh, love that. Uh, if if I was going to add a few, I would say don't um, don't overlook some of the dead guys. You know, Bonhoeffer on community, for example. Life together. Uh, G.K. Chesterton. Yeah. Uh, yeah, life together. Uh, G.K. Chesterton, uh, orthodoxy. Uh, a W Tozer on holiness. Uh, you know some of these uh, some of these folks that um, 
that, that are easy to overlook because, you know, they're not doing a podcast. They're not writing a blog. Um, but, uh, but they really have some things to say to the, uh, the internal realities of who we are. Uh, and then, um, w- with, uh, you know, just no ulterior motives whatsoever. I do think, uh, that, uh, the book, the chap, um, and a few of us put together called emotionally or called, uh, adoptive youth ministry, uh, adoptive youth ministry is a really great lens through which to look at current youth ministry, uh, challenges, dilemmas, uh, and, uh, I think did, did all of us, uh, have a voice in that, yeah. Yeah. um, yeah. chap, um, you know, you putting that project together, I think was really, really helpful. Uh, it's theologically rich, uh, and, uh, and because of the multiple voices, I think really practical. <laughs> so those would be some suggestions, uh, that I'd make right now. Thank you, Marv. Um, and the adoptive, just the word just is a new word, but the idea for all of us is what does it mean to be followers of Christ as we love kids into the kingdom? So that's really what that's, we've been talking about that all day. Yeah. Uh, I would say just both of these guys, uh, hermeneutics is a really a big word, but it's your science of interpretation. You, you, everyone has a hermeneutic, whether you know it or not. That's what Duffy's talking about. Marv's talking about all these great, different books um and and i would summarize it in the book if there's one book that i read every six months and i encourage everybody to read every six months slowly on a retreat is in the name of jesus by henry nowen because mm. it reminds us of our motivation for trying to uh, live out our daily lives is our motivation to get other people to honor other people to notice other people to affirm which, of course, every one of us is broken, every one of us is desperate and needy, um, and therefore, now and just kind of brings us to the, to the feet of Jesus and says, we're the beloved of Christ, and our calling is to rest in him and trust him that he's taking us home. And uh, if we can learn and continue to live out of the place of truly trusting God, the Father in his wisdom, God the Son in his sacrifice and calling, and God the Spirit in his transformative work. And we can really, truly live from that place. We're going to be healthy, healthier servants mm. and therefore more useful in his hands. So in the name of Jesus by Henry Nowen. Good. I like how, Chap, you said everyone has a hermeneutic. We can either be deliberate about uh, forming and shaping that in responsible ways or be irresponsible and let it just happen. It's like a theology. It's like a worldview. You know, you're going to have one of all of those. Are you going to? Are you going to? You know, foster it deliberately. I, I'll throw. I'm going to throw two books out right now, real quick. Um, one is an older book that really shaped and reformed me years and years and years ago. It's Albert Walter's book, Creation Regained: uh, Biblical Basis for a Reformational Worldview. <laughs> We've had a chance to introduce that to our doctoral students at Gordon-Conwell, Duffy and I have, and it just seems like whenever somebody engages with this book, it becomes an aha moment or a game changer. And it's not that long, but it is really, really good, and it it will encourage you to see God's story and how it's being worked out in the world through creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. So that's one, like Chap's book, you know, that he recommends that's worth rereading. I think Creation Regains a good one. And then another one that, that really hasn't gotten much press, but we had this guy into uh, one of our classes up there, 
uh, David Wells, who is now retired, was teaching theology up there. You know, he's a he's a good, sharp cultural critic, and Wells wrote a book called God in the Whirlwind, and God in the Whirlwind is really about how uh, I, it's a it's a theological corrective for the way that we have re um, redefined or or illy defined love in our culture now. We don't when we when we read the scriptures and we see the word love or we think about God's love, we're viewing it through a lens that maybe is incorrect. So he rejoins it to the word holy. So he is holy hyphen you know holy dash love of God, and it's a good book. Um, of theology, but also of cultural critique. And, you know, for me, it's it's served as a reboot, and I think it could for youth workers, because again, as we said earlier, we want to do the best we can and be responsible with, you know, the theology we teach and the way that we handle God's Word. And th- this, I think, is a corrective. So here's what we're going to do. All these books that the guys mentioned, everything we've mentioned today, if... Uh, you're listening to the podcast and you're streaming it through something other than our homepage, cpyu.org, where all the podcasts are archived. Go back to cpyu.org. Duffy, your rides here. Go back to cpyu.org. <laughs> you're right. And, um, and if you would, um, just scroll down under the podcast player. You'll see everything that the guys have mentioned today. We'll include links to everything. Chris will have that set up. So. Um, this is rich. I'm seeing some more questions, guys, from people on Facebook Live that I think will foster additional podcasts in the future. I think this is a helpful discussion. It's helpful to me, and I just appreciate you guys so much. So we'll uh, we'll be doing this again for sure. Any parting words before I cut us off here? Love being with you, man. It's always great. And thanks for everybody who's listened, especially those of you uh, given questions, Ruthie, thank you for being engaged. You're grateful for your ministry at Grace Chapel. And uh, again, thanks, Walt and Chap and Marv and Rich and Doug. You, you guys have invested in my life, and it's richer for it. Yeah. Amen. Thanks to all of you, and Merry Christmas to everybody. And I feel the same way for all of you uh, and you guys. It's just been a great journey together, and may the Lord bless you as you love him and follow yeah. him. Yeah. Thanks, Merry guys. Christmas. Thanks, guys. Merry and, Christmas, and, guys. And I'm just going to say, and by the way, we're going to post this after Christmas. So um, these guys don't, I, Merry, unless you're some, maybe you're celebrating happy Orthodox Day. Christmas. So, yeah. Happy Woo, Boxing Day, Marv. And, and Chris, Chris, we, I'll just let people know friendships are rich. And I want to say this as Duffy's whistling that um, these are a bunch of guys. I want to encourage you to have friendships like this because these are guys that when we, when we cut off our conversations, we typically tell each other how much we love each other, and it's, it's good to have those friendships. So thanks, guys. As Duffy uh, whistles us out. That's probably Duffy. He's yeah. quite the whistler. Yeah, and, and all I can say is whoever's walking by that car watching a guy sitting in the back seat whistling to himself is uh, probably wondering the same things we are. So thanks, I thanks for joining us. really at the home. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> thanks, everybody, for jealous. joining us. And we'll be back for another episode of Youth Culture Matters real soon. Thanks for joining us for Youth Culture Matters, a podcast from the Center for Parent Youth Understanding. If you'd like to learn more about today's youth culture, visit our website at cpyu.org. And if you have any questions, comments, or feedback, email us at podcast at cpyu.org.